And here we are in 12 through 14. I think here's what John is doing is he's given us an example of who's part of this church. Let's read these verses together. 12 through 14 of 1 John chapter 2. He says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you've overcome the evil one. So why in the world does John then break out into a poem, into a song here? In the middle of his letter, he just breaks out into a song like this. So why in the world does he do that? That's what the commentators were asking as I looked at them. They were saying, well, what do we do with this? Here he is. He's just putting a song right here in the middle. And the first thing that came to my mind is it's a little bit like Schoolhouse Rock. How many of you remember Schoolhouse Rock? It would come on on Saturday mornings, right in between cartoons, so we might have just finished watching Bugs Bunny, and there's another one coming, and Schoolhouse Rock was plopped right there in the middle. And what it was doing was helping teach um, good things, educational things, um, but through a song and through fun cartoons. So it might have been how a bill works, it might be our multiplication tables, but it was a catchy song to help us learn something. Maybe John's doing something similar here. I don't quite know why he goes into a song or into a poem. Just really not quite sure why he does that. But maybe he's using this as just a teaching tool, just a form to help us to be able to remember something really, really important. And I don't know why he goes into a poem, but I think what he's doing is helping us remember who's a part of this church. Who are my brothers and sisters that are a part of this local church that I'm not supposed to cause them to stumble? I'm not supposed to stumble. I'm not supposed to cause them to stumble. So who are my brothers and sisters? Who's a part of this body of believers? He's writing it in poetic form, and he addresses three different groups of people, and he addresses each of them twice. So what we can do with this poem is we can take these kind of in three groups, lump them together. So we have the children and little children, and he uses two different words there. We're going to look at that in a moment. He has little children, and then children. Same group of people, but a different emphasis on why he uses the word that he uses. Then we come to fathers. It feels like we ought to go straight to young men. That's who he addresses. It feels like we should go to young men, but he goes to fathers. So why that order? We're going to talk about that, but he goes little children and children, then fathers as the second group, and then we have young men. So three groups he's addressing here. And I think he's going to teach us and show us that these are three different ages that are a part of the church. But they're not ages in the, in the idea of chronological sense. This has nothing to do with your age. There may be a maturing that does come with time, with age. But this is your spiritual maturity. Not your chronological age, but a spiritual maturity. So we've got to keep that in mind as we're looking at these verses and what John is doing here as he's addressing the different people that are part of the church. The first people he addresses, the first group, is the little children or children that we have here. When you look at that word, little children, in the original meaning of that word, it's born ones. At its very core, it's very basic, it's born ones. So these are, if you think about it on the, in one use of it, it's, it's progeny. So these are your children. 
but this is being used in the spiritual sense. These are John's spiritual children that have come up under his ministry as a result of the work of the local church, God working in the local church. These are the children that have come up through, the spiritual children. They're little children. And he likes using this term. We see it in chapter 2, verse 1. We see it here. We see it in chapter 2, 28. And then in chapter 5, verse 21. These are new believers, babies in their faith. Still got that new baby Christian smell. They're new believers, just babies. They're learning. They're growing. And there's an excitement that's there. There's an excitement that's there. They're excited. We need to be excited. They don't know a whole lot yet. They're just coming into Christ. They don't know a whole lot, but they do know their sins are forgiven. John's reminding them that you got to hold on to this. This is good. This is right. Hold on to that excitement. You don't know a lot yet, but you know your sins are forgiven for his namesake. And that's awesome. That's a great place to go back to. That's a great thing to remember. If I don't know a whole lot, I know that. And that is huge to go back to the gospel and remember that Jesus Christ has forgiven me for my sins. Jesus Christ took me from where I was, lost in the darkness of my sin, and has brought me into the kingdom of light because of the work that he did on the cross. He took my punishment. He made the way that I might be saved. And that's awesome. And as a church, we got to be excited for those young believers. we got to be excited for those little children in the faith, those new believers. This is the greatest decision they can ever make in their whole entire lives. Every single decision after this is then touched by this one singular decision. This is their first step towards loving the Lord their God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's something to get excited about. That's something to come alongside them in, to be excited with them, to walk beside them. But they need that help. They need that support. And what they need most right now as young believers is to be consistently feeding on God's word and then having somebody else to walk alongside them to be able to help them to understand that. They got to start with the basics. They don't need to know giant theological terms like superlapsarianism. I don't even know what that word means. Pastor Dave probably knows what that is. Um, but I just know it's one of those theological terms. I don't know. They don't need to know that either. They don't need to know how to say the, the books of the Bible in Greek and Hebrew, forwards and backwards. Someday maybe they will. They don't need to know that now. They need to know the gospel. They need to know the basic truths of God's word. We can overcomplicate the gospel sometimes, but we don't need to, especially for these babies in the faith, these young believers. They need the basics of God's word. 1 Peter 2.2 calls it pure spiritual milk. And Hebrews Chapter 5, verse 12 talks about this as being the basic principles of the oracles of God. That spiritual milk, the basics, the foundations of our faith. Now, Hebrews uses it in a negative sense because he's writing, the writer, uh, whoever that actually is there in Hebrews, is writing to those Christians who should know better by now, who should have moved on past that. They should be able to take in more solid food to be learning and to grow they're not just stuck there in the perpetual baby food. But that's where we expect a young Christian to be. 
That's where we expect them to be, is taking in that nourishment, the basic principles of God's Word. We don't expect anything different yet. They need that nourishment. They need to stay connected to God's Word. As a young believer, they need the basics. They need the truths. Just like a little baby, we expect them. They need that Uh, They need that milk. They need that formula. They need that baby food. As believers who have known Christ a little bit longer, we still have to go back to those basics. They still have to be a part of our diet. But they're uh, they're not the entirety of our diet as we get older. There are other things that are added to that. But we still go back to the basics. We don't ever lose sight of those. Just like as an adult, we still go back and we still have milk. We still have dairy. You still have a bowl of cereal with some milk in the morning. Some of you put it in your coffee. You're wrong, but you do that. (laughs) We still have to take in the basics, the simple things that help us have a good, balanced diet. Same is true spiritually. Can't lose sight of the basics. This is where the young believers are starting. They're starting in God's Word. They need that. They need to stay abiding in God's Word, letting that fill them. They've just been grafted into his family. As John 15 gives us that picture of the branch grafted into the vine. They've just been grafted in. They're part of the family of God, but they're very fresh. They're very new. They need a gentle touch, and they need the constant flow of energy that comes from God's word. Just as you have an example there of what it looks like when you're grafting a vine together, they wrap that carefully so it gets the nutrients that it needs. It stays moist, it keeps good contact so it can have the life of the vine flowing through it. As young believers, you've gotta stay in God's word, have to remain in his word. The single greatest thing that you can do as a young believer is just that, be in God's word daily and then bring somebody else alongside you to help you to be able to understand God's word. Don't even worry about producing fruit. Because we look at John 15, that's not even our job. We're not to bear fruit. He bears the fruit through us as we remain in him. So we have to stay abiding in him. Remain in God's word. As a little child, new in the faith, we're to remain in him. And we have this church then of various ages of believers, different spiritual maturity levels. So that helps us understand a little bit further then as John uses a different word when he's talking to children. So little children, he said, I'm writing to you because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. But to children, he says, I'm writing to you children because you know the father. Now this word is used different. Little children means born ones. So uh, spiritual children that are born or physical children that are born. This word, children, is being used to understand ones who are under someone else's authority. And that's who we are as children. When we're little kids, we're under somebody else's authority. We're under the authority of our parents, our grandparents, our teachers. There's a lot of people that were under their authority. The same is then true for these young believers. First and foremost, they're remembering that they're under the authority of God the Father. So they remember that he's the ultimate authority. But he's placed a lot of other people around them that they need the help and support and the leadership of those other people that are there a part of this body of believers. We're all in this together. They need to be able to look up to those that are older than them in the faith who have walked alongside uh, the Lord. He's walked alongside them. They've absorbed more of God's word so that they can walk wisely and then lead others like these young children in the faith to also walk wisely in the Lord. They're learning a lot. They're growing a ton. 
but they're getting things and they're learning things and they often just don't know yet what to do with those things. They're good things, they're growing like crazy, but they don't necessarily know what to do with everything that they're given. Ada uh, has always been the kind of little girl that likes to take things apart and figure out how stuff works. She's pretty good at that too, taking stuff apart. And when she was, I think she was two, she went with Jenny to the doctor and the doctor uh, had this instrument that she was using. Some of you know exactly what that's called. I have no idea what that's called. But that was the instrument that she was using, and their doctor likes to use this. You know, they look in their nose, and look in their ears, and in their throat, and they're just looking to make sure everything uh, is, just looks the way that it should, and they're healthy. Their doctor always says they're looking for monkeys in their ears. Not found one yet, but she continues to look. This is the tool she was using. Great tool, very helpful tool. She gave it to Ada as she turned around, and she's probably writing notes on her computer or something like that. And in the time she handed it to Ada, and then turned around to write her notes and turned back, Ada had somehow disassembled the whole thing. We still don't know how she did it. Somehow she disassembled the whole thing. Great tool, very helpful, really good to help uh, little children to be growing, for doctors to know what's needed, to see if there's any problems that are there. But in the hands of a two-year-old, she, she doesn't know what to do with it, so she takes it apart. As young believers, we're learning a lot. You're learning all kinds of things, really good, really useful tools from God's Word and from those that are believers that have known Christ a little bit longer to be able to help you know how to walk, and you may not know how to use all of those yet. So you need people to walk alongside you. You need people to care for you. we got to remain under the care of those that are in authority over us. God the Father first, but then we're a part of a body as a whole. need good leadership. We need a church to come alongside those new believers, those young children in the faith. We need them to come alongside. Just like we spoke last week, we have God's command. We have the example then in Christ, the new emphasis and the new example. Then we need to do it and do it in such a way that we don't cause ourselves to stumble, to live out that command he's given us, but then do it in such a way we don't cause others to stumble around us. Because as we are learning to walk just as Jesus walked, to live this life just as he lived this life, the ones around us that are most likely to stumble are these children. Because they're so new to this. They're learning so much so quickly as they are in God's word. The ones that we can most easily cause to stumble are these children, these little spiritual children. So as a church, we have to be oh so careful how we are first walking ourselves so we're not stumbling. But then we have to be careful how we are walking in light of others watching us too, so we don't cause them to stumble. We have to remember the example that we've been given, the command that we're given, remember the example and the emphasis in Jesus, and then walk that out well. So for those who are young in their faith, the little children, be excited about this life that you've been given, this new life in Jesus. Remember, your sins are forgiven. But remember, you're under authority, first to God the Father, but then he's given you this church, the different people that are a part of this body to help you to grow, to help you to learn. We're going to look in a few moments at Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. We'll look at it more in depth. But what is happening there in Ephesians is Paul is saying, here are these leaders, here are these spiritual fathers and mothers that have been given to you to help you to grow, to help you to develop to help you no longer be just children tossed to and fro by the things of this world, but to mature, to grow, to attain the full stature, the fullness of Christ. 
He's given us the, these people, these leaders on purpose to help us to grow, to not stay where we are. And as a church, then, we have a responsibility to walk alongside these young believers well, to be careful how we walk, because they're watching us. So we talked about children, and then we come to fathers. It feels like we ought to just go naturally to young men. That just feels like how we ought to do that. You know, we talk to little children and then children, and ought to go to young men then naturally. But that's not how John sets this up. He doesn't set it up in that order. He sets it up then as fathers. So why does he set it up that way? And John's intentional about this. The Holy Spirit's intentional about prompting him. So why does he then go to fathers rather than young men? Well, we'll see in just a little bit, but I think he does this on purpose to help us and to help the the young men then, the young women, those who have energy, uh, to remember those who are around them in a different way. So we'll look at that in a moment. But we come to fathers. So there's a depth and a knowing and an understanding. He's found in the maturity of the spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. It's not there in the babies, the little children. They're just new. It's different then than the young men and the young women that have the spiritual vigor and zeal and energy and passion. There's a depth and there's a knowing. Here's what John says about the fathers. He says, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. There's a different level of understanding here. That's how we ought to understand that word know. It's experiencing on a different level. And experiencing not just a head knowledge, but having actual life experience with knowing him who is from the beginning. He's your heavenly father, but you know him as deeper than that. You've experienced him in a different way than just your heavenly father. There's a deeper understanding and knowing of who God is that's there. He's known by experience. And that can only come most often with a bit of time and a bit of maturity. Now, God can use things in our lives to accelerate that maturing process. Um, One such person is Oswald Chambers. Oswald Chambers, here he is pictured with he and his wife. She's actually six feet tall. No, she's not. I don't know how tall she is. Oswald Chambers was only 43 when he died. But you think about how so many people's lives have been impacted by My Utmost for His Highest. That's a book that he's um, known for having written. But he didn't actually even write it to be a book. His notes and his sermon notes and and the margin of his Bible and his lectures were the things that his wife then compiled after his death and put together My Utmost for His Highest. I received this as a gift when I first was a freshman at Lancaster Bible College. And there's just such a great depth of wisdom and simplicity in his writing, but a depth and and an understanding and knowing of who God is that is more reminiscent of somebody who's not just 43 years old. They've experienced God in a much different way. And that came out then in his writing has been a blessing to many, many, many people and been a spiritual father to many people. Uh, still something that I use in my personal devotions uh, from time to time. But God used him in a really big way. There's a deep maturing, a deep, uh, greater understanding of who God is that needs to be happening in our lives. He isn't just this or that to you. And it's hard to be able to express the depth of knowing God as you mature and as you grow, that it's hard to put in a song. It's hard to put in a blog. You understand God in a different way. And it should come with age. There should be a maturing that happens with age. 
But that's not a given. Often God brings things into our lives to help us to mature, to help us to learn, to help us to grow, to reflect him in a greater and greater way. But we can miss that. We can neglect to then act on what God has shown us. We can miss what God was trying to teach us in that moment. We have to be intentional then about our maturing, about our growing, letting God work in us. Sometimes he matures people very rapidly, as he did um, with Oswald Chambers, how he was a man who, who wasn't an older man, still in that young man category, but God had matured him to the point where he was a spiritual father for many. So for those of us who are not spiritual fathers or spiritual mothers yet, we have to be thankful for those people that God has put in our lives. We've got to be thankful that God has built the church the way that he has, where you have this mix of ages, different levels of spiritual maturity. We can be thankful for those people that he puts in our lives to help us to grow. Because it's real easy to gravitate uh, towards those people who are kind of the Christian celebrities, even if those people who fit in the Christian celebrity category would kind of be, you know, balk at that idea of being a Christian celebrity, because they're just trying to be faithful. They're just trying to communicate God's word as, as he's revealed his word to them, as they've understood it, and they want to pass that on to others. But it's real easy for us to then gravitate towards those who have the most articulate voice, the ones who are most, uh, the greatest charisma in their teaching, uh, who are the most thought-provoking. It's really easy to look towards those people, but we can't always just run to them as the ones that have the answers. Sometimes they can be doing their best to pass on God's word, but they just haven't had that time to develop the deep knowing that comes from maturing in God's word. So we have to be thankful for those people that God places in our lives. He's given us those people on purpose for a reason to help us reflect Christ in a greater way. In Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, you can look at the rest of that all uh, in depth a little bit more than we have time to this morning. But Paul gives an example of here's all these different teachers and all these different leaders that Christ has given to the church. And it's really, it's a gift to the church to help them to grow, to help them mature, to help them become more like Christ. He says they've been given to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And it continues on then to say the measure to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's what we're looking to attain. That's where we're looking to be. Not anymore just little children, but reaching and attaining to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's what those spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers in our lives and in this church are there to help us to do. We've got to be thankful for them. Often, these are the people who speak little. They speak softly. But when they do speak, it's profound. They're letting God work in them. They're letting God speak through them. We need to be thankful for those people that God has put in our lives. They're part of the body and part of this church. For those of you who are the spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers, and we've been very gifted as a church, we have a lot of spiritual fathers and mothers that are a part of this church. And we've got to be very thankful for that. Stay faithful. Stay faithful to God's word. Stay faithful to the basic truths of who God is, the basic principles of how God has revealed himself to his word, the basic commands that he's given to us. Because it doesn't matter how old we get, how long we've known the Lord, we are just a little step away, little steps all the way along to leading us to no longer being faithful and tarnishing the reputation and the legacy that we could leave. Until we're with the Lord, we have to continue to remain faithful. It never happens just like that. It's never just one single decision. It's always just a slow, gentle, 
fade, a complacency that comes if we're not intentional about remaining faithful, remaining faithful in, in taking in God's word, remaining and abiding in him, remaining faithful and constantly being in prayer, letting the words of Christ dwell in you richly, not letting your guard fall when it comes to sin. Because even though you might be a spiritual father or mother, if you're not as intentional as you were at one point all through your lives, you can come to a point where you're no longer being a spiritual father or a spiritual mother. You've ceased to be faithful, and now you're causing others to stumble. It's a reminder for you. It's a reminder for the rest of us, too. Got to start right. Go back to those basics. Remain in God's word, and then stay faithful. Because the world is watching on. There are little eyes that are watching you, spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers, to see what you're doing. And Scripture is full of examples of those who didn't finish well. Uh, Just contemporary today, there are dozens of examples that we can look to of people who didn't finish well. We don't really need to look at those. We can look at Daniel as a positive example of somebody who did finish well. So Daniel is one of the very few people in Scripture that nothing negative is ever said about. There are very few people in Scripture that are that way. We see all through Scripture, we see the good things that happen with the characters in God's Word, but we often see the negative things that happen as well. Daniel is an excellent example for us from the time he's just a youth there with Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and they're given the diet that the king has given them to eat, and they say, we can't do that, that would disobey God's laws. And they say, let's do a test. They're respectful, they're right about how they do it. And God blesses them for standing up and doing what God has told them to do and not contradicting God's commands for them. They do that right. They do that properly. And they're blessed as a result of it. And we see Daniel being faithful all the way to the end of his life. And we come to Daniel in the lion's den in that story. And he's still faithful to the Lord, even though they set that trap for him, saying Daniel's going to keep praying to his God. So let's set a trap for him where he's got to then pray to the king, but he's not going to do that. And it happens just the way they set up that plan is that Daniel's not going to be unfaithful to the Lord. He's going to continue to pray to God. And the king realizes when it's too late that this is a trap and they throw Daniel in the lion's den. And it's thought he might have been as old as 80 years old, somewhere around there. And he's being thrown into this lion's den, still remaining faithful, walking with the Lord all the way through, faithful all the way from the time he was a youth, all the way till we see him finishing well at the end of his life. And of course, God rescues him out of that lion's den, continues to bless his life. Nothing negative is ever said about Daniel. He remains faithful. Spiritual fathers and mothers, you need to remain faithful because there's little eyes that are watching on. And then we come to the young men. This is the last group then that John talks to. Here's what he says to the young men. He says, I'm writing to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. And down in verse 14, I write to you, young men, because you're strong and the word of God abides in you and you've overcome the evil one. Again, this is a poem, so we're combining those two stanzas. He recognizes there's a passion. There's an energy that's there in these young men. When I was at Lancaster Bible College, There was a group of students that were there. Of course, we're all, you know, we're young believers. We're at Bible college. We're all super excited about being there. And there was a group of students that would meet in the coffee shop there on campus regularly. I don't remember how often they met, but I'd go study in the coffee shop. It was just the easy place for me to study. So I would go there, and they'd often be there. And they called themselves the LBC heretics. So 
They liked to debate theology. They liked to debate doctrine. And I think they were really, really good guys. It drove them into God's word in a greater and greater way. A greater understanding then should have been had for who God was. But they called themselves the LBC heretics because they just loved to argue. They loved to debate. And there were some things that were really good about that. It helped push them into God's word, helped them really understand and know, why do I know this? Why do I believe this? That's great. But sometimes they fought the battle they didn't need to fight, and they argued for argue's sake. Uh, sometimes it wasn't always taken super well by those they were arguing with. Sometimes people did that really well. Sometimes people didn't argue very well at all. But there's a passion, there's a zeal that was there in those young men. Same thing is true here. John's recognizing there's a passion, there's a zeal for God and his word that they have, these young men have. And they're not children anymore. They've grown on from there. They're not the little children. They're not even then the children, the other word that John uses. These are young men. They certainly are not the spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers yet. But there's a passion. There's an energy that they have. There's an energy that they have. So why this order? Why does John put it this way, where we have the little children, children, then fathers, and then young men? Why in that way? Well, I think what John is doing here is he's helping us see these different ages. But the little children then, the young believers, are able to look up to these young men and say, that's inspiring. That's exciting. There's energy and there's passion there. But it also means that then the spiritual fathers are looking at this saying, there's a great responsibility that's here. We need to lead them well. And for the young men and the young women that are part of this, this zealous energy, this passion for God and for his kingdom and for his word, they need to recognize both. They need to recognize the fact that there are younger believers that are watching on and they have these spiritual fathers that are leading them. So I, I think that that's why John groups it in this way. But they have a passion. They have an excitement that's there. They've got passion for God and his word. So what does that look like? What does the passion look like? First, John says that they're strong. The word of God abides in them. They are abiding in his word. They are connected to the vine. They are letting God's word flow in them and flow through them. And they're bearing fruit because his life is flowing through them. They know they have to remain in God's word. They have to stay connecting to him because if they don't stay connected to God and his word, then they can do nothing. They can bear zero fruit. God will not bear fruit through them because they're no longer abiding in the vine. They have to stay connected to him. They have to stay connected to Jesus. This is something that they do because they love the Lord. They love him. It's not just something they do out of compulsion or habit. And it's not even that they're doing these things and don't really even understand why they're doing it. They've moved past that point as children. They're letting God's word dwell in them richly. It says in Colossians 3, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. They're letting God's word indwell them, and then they're using God's word. They're going out and they're understanding a little bit more about who God is, and they're using those tools wisely. They're using them well, just like those little babies in, in faith. Those young believers have learned a lot, but don't quite know what to do with it. These young men have learned a little bit of what to be doing with it, to be using it, to be zealous for God and his word, letting that youthful energy be used for the furthering of God's kingdom. And again, age isn't really what's being taught here. It's spiritual maturity that's being taught here, spiritual energy 
that's being taught here that doesn't come just because of age and doesn't go because of age. We see one awesome example in the Old Testament in the life of Caleb. And Joshua, I guess, suppose would be another example as well. So you have Caleb and Joshua, who are the two spies that out of the 12 that went into the promised land, they had been sent in to see what is the land can do it. The other 10 said it's impossible. There's no way we can do this. So God sends them then wandering around in the desert. Caleb and Joshua are the only two men of that generation that go into the promised land that God had given them. And you see Caleb then as an old man. He's an elderly man at this point. He's then very zealous and vigorous to go forward to do and complete what God had set them to do. And even as an older man, he still has the spiritual energy and God gifts him with the physical energy to go accomplish what it is God had sent them there to do. Didn't matter if he wasn't a young man anymore. He had a spiritual zeal for God and for completing God's will that then is lived out in his life. So age isn't necessarily an indicator here. Caleb was a good example for us. As a result of this useful strength resulting from God's abiding in God's word, John says that you've overcome the evil one. The evil one's the devil. It's Satan, the accuser of the brethren. So how do they overcome him? How can they overcome, this, overcome Satan? Not by their own strength, not by their own vigor, not their own passion or ambition. Revelation 12, 7 through 11 says that Satan will be defeated by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. It's defeated by the gospel, by what Jesus Christ has done for us and the word of their testimony, which is based on the work that Christ has done in them. God's word lived out through their lives. That's how they will overcome Satan. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 reminds us to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might and to daily put on that spiritual armor. We go in his strength, wearing his armor, fighting with his weapons in order to defeat sin, to defeat evil. We're strong because we abide in him. And when we abide in him, we can overcome because of his life and his work, and his word flowing through us. It's good to have that youthful zeal, that youthful energy that young, young people bring to the church, but the young men and women, the spiritual young men and women, need to remember where their strength lies and where the real battle is being fought. The guys who are part of the LBC heretics didn't always remember where the real battle was being fought. They were fighting, um, but it wasn't always the right battle to be fighting. So we have to remember where our strength lies and then where the real battle is that we are fighting, the war that we are waging. And First and Second Timothy are two letters that Paul wrote to Timothy that are an excellent, essentially a training manual for young believers, young leaders in ministry. And Paul is writing this to Timothy, a young pastor, but it can be applied then to both the young men and the young women in many ways. There are some things that are specific to Timothy as a pastor that aren't going to apply to a young woman. But many of these things will apply to just those young men, those young women in the faith. And beyond that, how are we to conduct ourselves? How do we make sure that we're going in his strength and fighting the battle as he intends? And we don't have a chance to look through the entire thing, but we do have a chance to look at a few of the things that Paul gives Timothy. And then you can read it for yourself. There's your homework. Um, if you're in that young man or young woman category, go ahead and read First and Second Timothy. It won't take you too long. He says, wage the good warfare. There's one thing they need to be doing. Don't let anyone look down on you for your youth, but set them an example. Keep close watch on yourself 
Avoid distraction and fight the good fight of faith. Fan into flame the gift given to you. Suffer as a good soldier. Present yourself to God as one approved. Preach the word, ready in season and out. All of those things and others can be drawn from what Paul is teaching Timothy in First and Second Timothy. There's a lot of writing. There's a lot of instruction that's given for these zealous, passionate young men and young women of the faith. Because what can happen is when we're passionate about serving the Lord, we're passionate about his word and building his kingdom, we're gone. We're just going. We're doing stuff. We want to move. But what can happen at times is we're so busy going and moving in our passion and excitement, sometimes we forget the whole of what we've heard. Sometimes we just run into things and then we think about it. We need the instruction. We need the care. We need those spiritual fathers and mothers to come alongside us to remember where our strength lies, to remember where the battle is to be fought. We need God's word to dwell in us richly. When we are abiding in God's word, we're remaining in him. And when we are doing, uh, fighting in his strength, in his way, for his glory, according to his will, there's nothing that can stand against us because we're doing it for the Lord in his way, under his strength, fighting the right battles as he intends to. Nothing's going to stand in our way when we're fighting for his purposes. So church, if you find yourself in a different category than young man or young woman, perhaps you're in the spiritual fathers or spiritual mothers, sometimes it's easy to look at youthful zeal and say, whoa, hold on, and try to put the brakes on things because it looks different than what it did when you were younger. That might be the case, but hold on. Don't just put the brakes on right away. Make sure that as you're first dwelling in God's word for yourself, letting his words dwell in you richly, you walk alongside then those young men and young women who are passionate, that have zeal. They won't always get it right, but walk alongside them, bringing God's word as the standard, uphold them to that, constantly putting his word before them, constantly putting the example of Christ before them, but walk alongside them. They're going to have passion. They're going to have energy. They're going to want to go and do stuff. Walk alongside them well, pointing them constantly and consistently to Christ, helping them channel that energy. If you are not in that young man or young woman category, you're still part of the children or young children category, look to them because there's a lot of energy. There's a lot of excitement that comes from that group. But we also have to be careful who we're watching because it's real easy to get caught up in the excitement and in the movement and lose sight of Christ in the excitement and the movement of where things are going. So constantly be careful of watching, being careful who you're watching, and make sure your eyes are first on Christ. John's given us a poem or a song. I don't know why he does it this way. I don't know why he lays this out for us just exactly like this, but I think what he's doing is helping us to see that the church is uh, generations of believers that are living and serving together. We all need each other. We need all of these different generations as part of the body of Christ. There are brothers and sisters. It needs to be a mix because churches that are made up of just one generation are often hard churches to be a part of. If you have a church that is made up of primarily an older generation, there's a lot of depth. There's a lot of wisdom that's there but we can sometimes end up stuck in curmudgeonly traditionalism. We just, you know, we don't want to do it that way. We've just always done it this way. If you have the 20s and 30-somethings that are primarily the major generation of the church, they're the ones that are running stuff. You end up with a ton of energy, a ton of passion, 
but not always a lot of depth. And we're running here, we're going there, we're doing a ton of stuff, but we don't always remember why we're doing it or where we're going or what's actually being accomplished. And if you have a church made up of primarily just those young believers, those babies in their faith, those little children, they can end up doing what little babies and toddlers end up doing. They end up wandering around and getting themselves into trouble or falling over because they don't know any better yet. They're still learning. It's not always their fault. They just don't know any better yet. We need all of us. We need this whole family. Every single age, spiritual maturity level, that's a part of this. It's part of God's gift to his church, to his body. We are working together. We are learning and growing together, our brothers and sisters, that we might be able to live out that command that he gave us to love one another, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourself, to do it in the new emphasis and the new example we've seen in Jesus but to do it understanding who our brothers and sisters are in Christ so that we don't stumble and we don't cause them to stumble. God put it together this way on purpose, and we need each other to be able to see this body be healthy and to be able to see this body grow. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you even for passages like this. We don't know why John put it together exactly in this way, but we do know that he's teaching us some very strong things about how you've made up your church. And Father, I pray that wherever we find ourselves in whatever spiritual age we, we feel we are or those around us feel that we are, I pray that our eyes are first on you. You're our first and greatest example. And that then we feel that spiritual responsibility to disciple those around us, to lead up others that are around us, that they might be a greater reflection of your son. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that as a church body that we can care for and love one another just as you intend. In Jesus' name, amen.